Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is June 15th, 2022, and we are ready to begin our worship service. We are beginning with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We're glad to be here. We are uh, looking forward to whatever your spirit has for us this evening. We're thankful as those who are in this age have the special calling that is over our lives and father we pray for wisdom as we try to understand how to navigate in this world um, also father we are lifting up uh, those in prayer um, misty's dad in particular the family all of the entire family if someone is sick it affects not just that person but affects everyone uh, we're praying for dave's daughter and uh, the Sneed family as well, praying for Gretel, praying for those who are still grieving for the loss of loved ones, and praying for my wife, who is traveling, and daughter, because of the loss of um, her nephew um, attending a funeral tomorrow. So we're praying for the grieving family as well. And so... As, as the list goes on, Father, I'm sure there are those I did not mention. And uh, whoever is on our hearts, Father, we're lifting them up before you now as well. Praying for those of us who may be struggling with illness, anxiety, financial troubles, whatever is distracting us from your perfect will and thinking your thoughts. Father, we put that in your care. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, we are continuing uh, our study in Romans chapter 11. And we're looking at verse 11 today. Uh, you should have notes. And just to note if there are uh, anything that you've you've missed or you want to catch up on or you want to go back and look at previous series the website is out there it's wordistruth.com and um, just as a reminder that's always something we want to do is promote that which is out there because it it does have a wealth of information a lot of resources uh, in fact I could give a shout out to Dwight. He has a section there as well, Reflections for Life. So just to note, that is at the end of articles, the article section. So just wanted to, wordistruth.com. But we're going to get right into our study on Romans. Chapter 11, verse 11, it says, Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Israel has a special calling before God. While they are not operational now, God fully expects them to take their place in human history again. We could conclude from some of the promises to the nation that he never doubted them. 
God did not God did accomplish many of his objectives through this nation, even there in their declining state. As Isaiah says, quote, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. And that's in Isaiah 53 and verse 2. We must, we must keep in mind that Israel's purpose is God's purpose. Certainly God will not fail at his divine purposes. So uh, as we're progressing, I just looked up today and thought, wow, we're already in verse 11. That may seem slow to some people, but I think we are moving pretty good, at pretty good speed here. In Romans 11, I'm, I'm like, wow, we are already at verse 11. So, let's dig in and see what we can come up with, some points maybe. So the first thought is, again, I ask, just to look at that. And this question is the second so far in the context. The first, uh, the first in verse 1, right? This is where you get the first question, and why don't we just review that? So in verse Romans 11, 1, he says something very sim similar. I ask then. And of course, in our verse, in 11, he says, again, I ask. So he is really uh, making these points. He's challenging his readers to understand that Israel does, in fact, have a purpose. And there is hope for Israel. Uh, because these are some of the objections that Israel raised. This is the only reason why we're reading these types of uh, conclusions and questions by Paul. It's because Israel had these questions. I mean, as we understand the context better, the verses fit in, in, in a context that makes sense to us. And that's how we want to understand the scriptures. We don't want to just take verses and uh, just decide what we think they mean. We want to really try to make sure they are integrated into the context. So I ask then, let's look at it, did God reject his people? So that was the first question. And the answer again is the negative, by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So what he's saying there is, no, there's hope for Israel. It's not, God did not just blanketly reject all of Israel. Now you could imagine that could, for all that they have done, and for this last uh, rejection of their own Messiah, and not just rejection of him, but getting this whole instigating uh, to kill him and to put him on the cross. Uh, that is, that, I, I don't even have words to say how evil and that is. When here he's coming to save and they kill him, uh, it's just, that's rough to imagine, at least from our perspectives. But God, he knew this was going to happen. He anticipated this happening. He talked about it in the Old Testament. He knew Israel would, would reject. So he understood this far before it happened. Uh, but we saw it happen in real time in, in human history. So, so then 
Verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appeared, uh, appealed to God against Israel. And it goes on with this thought. And, it, and you know, one of the points I, was, I made through here is that even though uh, you may not see or, you know, other people having the same thoughts as you, it doesn't mean you're the only one that has these thoughts. And we said, watch it, because that's exactly how Elijah thought. He said, oh, you know what? Nobody else is, has the understanding we have. I'm the only one. And it's not true. God told, told Elijah it's not true, and it's a lesson for us too. And even to the present time, Paul says in verse 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now that chosen by grace means that they have really two callings. They were Israelites, they were Jews, and secondarily, they were also chosen to be in the church. So now we know, we don't look at them and say, oh, they're Jews and in the church. No, because once you're in the church, there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. In other words, whatever happens to us as a result of the baptism of the Spirit, we lose our identity of whether we are Jews or Gentiles and we take on the identity of Christ. So that makes for no designation, whatever des designation we had prior, then uh, it is null and void. So who we really are, we are new creations in Christ. So at the present time, there's a remnant, right? And that's, so th that, that question was answered. It was, a, it was a negative answer. Of course not. No way would God do that. He wouldn't reject his people. And our question in verse 11, I ask, again I ask. And so I'm sure, even as he says, again I ask, he's reiterating, he's reinforcing this point that Israel raised these objections before God and Paul is busy answering them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So again I ask, and so the second point in this thought is the answer to this question is clearly no. And we just read verses 1 through 5. And we should note, even though Israel is raising such a, I'm going to even say it, it's a ridiculous question because it tells us that they don't know God. That God would never go back on his word. It, it's impossible. There are scriptures in the Old Testament that say so, that he would never reject Israel, even after all they have done. He still won't do it. And so the answer has always been no. It's always been no for God. He won't change it. He's not like us, uh, where we sit around and evaluate, you know, what, the, what was the damage? And, oh, how, how terrible was it? And what should be the punishment? But we don't do that. I mean, well, God doesn't do that. We do that. So this is point, that was point number two, which we kind of covered. Point th uh, C is, and how can the answer ever be yes? Uh, let's just think about this for a minute because we have verse six. What does verse six add to it that makes me think that it is impossible 
for God to reject his people whom he has foreknown. What, what is impossible is that it's by grace. God called Israel by grace. Let's read it. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So if we're talking about the sovereign election of Israel as a nation, and if that is by grace and it is not by works, then it's clear then that Israel can't fail at this. This is the only person who can fail at this is God. If it doesn't have to do with what how Israel responds, then how can Israel be culpable for their failure? No, they will succeed because it is God sovereignly called them by grace. And that's we think about that this we're called by grace. In other words, can we uh, the church succeed? I'm not talking about our individual salvation. I'm talking about can we as a church succeed in God for to fulfill what God has called us to. And of course, the answer as we're looking at it is of course we we can't fail because then that that means God's eternal purpose would fail. And God certainly is not going to fail. Uh, that's impossible that he would fail. Um there's just no way. He saw all things before time began. He, when he says, he, for those he foreknew, he knew all the way down to and those he also glorified. So we, we, we don't have to wonder in the, in the process of that, well, what happens if we fail? Because, I mean, God has already uh, taken into account that there could be failure. He took it into account for Israel. And there was discipline. But it doesn't mean because God disciplined Israel that they failed. We, we just have to be sure that that is not according to God's eternal purpose. Um, they will succeed. That is what I'm trying to say. Now, this is another thought to say that we know God's election by grace, the fact that we're in the church, is solid. His election to of Israel, the nation, was also by grace. It is not by him who calls or works. I'm sorry, by their works. It is by him who calls. God is the one who is on the hook there. So verse 6 can be used for us in terms of our election. And if something is by grace, then how can we fail at it? If we receive it by grace, like salvation is another example. We receive salvation and it's by grace. It is not of works. So this is not of ourselves. How can we fail at it if we've received it? Now, the only way you could fail at salvation is if you reject it. And you could fail in your calling individually, but God's overall purpose for the church will succeed. It will succeed. And so that's the point to make. And I'd say point C is a very strong point because it doesn't depend on Israel. It depends on God. And there's no way God is going to fail in this. It's just, it's not going to happen. That's not the thought. So that's point C. And it's just to say, and then how can the answer be ever be yes? It can't, it can't ever be yes when we have 
verse 6. Point number two. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And the answer is not at all. Not at all. Of course not, I could say. God forbid. <laughs> May it never be. We could just throw out some other terms that might uh, make sense. So that, that can't... And, and the fact that they stumbled and they fell... Is it does does it thwart God's purposes? Absolutely not, not at all. Let's look at some points here. First point is Israel certainly did stumble horribly, and we could all of us can attest to that because we've read scriptures in Isaiah and uh, all the other places where Israel failed miserably. You you we've been talking about Israel's failures for the last few chapters. So it was a horrible. Not only did they not fulfill the call that God had planned for them, but they didn't even uh, fulfill the plan of salvation, which is to be justified before him by grace. They refused to receive the grace of God in salvation. So how? could they possibly fulfill the plan to go out and tell people about the grace of God and salvation? It's impossible that they could ever fulfill it. But God still has a purpose for Israel. He still is telling us that, yeah, yeah, they stumbled. Yeah, they, they fell. But not beyond recovery. God is going to restore Israel. There's no doubt about it. So let's see, Israel certainly did stumble horribly, but did their stumbling result in God failing to fulfill his eternal purpose for them? And the answer is, of course not. Now, God responded to their failures. It's not like he says, oh, yeah, they failed. No, he, he recognized their failures, and he responded to them with discipline. He spanked them. And, and that helped them, to hopefully, to realize their failures and that God was not pleased with them and, and that they were resisting the Holy Spirit and that that was something that they needed to correct but, and repent. But they did not uh, for, for many times. Now, I wouldn't say the whole nation of Israel. And that's, there's always, just like we were just talking about in the previous verse, a remnant. There's always a remnant. God has. But the leaders of Israel, the majority of Israel failed, and there goes the nation. <coughs> so, point B, point B here, beyond recovery. So, some Christian groups, now this is, <coughs> this is, um, hope for those of you who are up on this, but some, just to note, some Christian groups had advanced the theory that Israel has crossed the line and are beyond recovery. So they assume two things. Now this is, I don't know if you've heard people talk about Israel in this manner, and uh, where they're saying, well, no, they crucified Christ, they rejected their Messiah. Of course God has cast them away. They're, forget about what God's plan for Israel was. They're saying, no, it's not going to be fulfilled through those people. 
it is going to be fulfilled through the church. This is what, how, how they look at it. So po two points in that, in this way. This is how they see it. That Israel, this is point number one, has no future with God anymore. They, they realize they had a future, but not anymore. But that is not true from our context. So we can always just look at just the tenor of what Paul is saying here, even from verse 1. Did God cast away his people? Absolutely not. No way. And then we're getting this verse now to reiterate what God is saying. I asked, again I asked, you think they failed, they failed so terribly that God would cast them away? And the answer is still no. He will not. And I already gave some reasoning around that. But this, these church groups who believe in this uh, this theory, uh, for whatever reason, are rejecting the scriptures that are here. And, and just how Paul is trying to tell us that, no, God has not cast away. There is hope for Israel. And especially, have they fallen beyond recovery? In other words, can God restore him? And the answer is yes, again. So I don't know how um, they come to those conclusions. But they are wrong conclusions and the scripture I don't even have to go to other scriptures I could easily go to Old Testament promises to say God would never do such a thing but I'm not doing that I'm just going to stay right here in our context and I can equip unequivocally tell you that God will not he will not reject people when they were sovereignly called by grace even though they're unbelievers we don't want to get to that but God still won't cast them away because he has made a covenant with this nation. Point number two, it <clears throat> says they believe that the church has taken the place or, or the place of Israel or replaced them. And in fact, that's what they call it, the replacement theory. They're saying the church is now sitting in the seat of where Israel was. And this is... This is it. There is no more Israel. The spirit, the church is spiritual Israel. In all these ways, they, they look at this. But that nullifies the promises of God. That, that goes back to the Old Testament passages of Scripture. And we covered these. You know, if, if you can count the sand on the seashore, uh, if you can count the stars in the sky, look up, and, and if you can number them, then will I reject my people for all they have done, right? These are scriptures that unequivocally say, there's no way I'm going to reject Israel, even though I know all the things they've done. Yeah, imagine that. That's God is patient. He is long-suffering. We can use this for us. We can make applications to says, yeah, we, we haven't done everything right. We're... We sin, we fail. And how does God handle that? Yeah, he may discipline us, but just know this. Once you belong to God, you belong to him. He, it is not necessarily your faithfulness that keeps the relationship alive. It's his faithfulness. And that is something that we can take to the bank. So they believe that the church replaces Israel. And that nullifies the promises of God. I mean, if you don't believe the word of God, if you don't believe God, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to receive anything from God. 
you you don't that's the way we receive it is trusting what he says and when you just on the surface just tell god i don't believe that what you just said i'm going to believe something else and you won't please god won't be pleased by that that's for sure so it's um, which it nullifies the promises of god and his purposes and it diminishes the church the church's distinct purpose now just imagine because what they're trying to say about the church oh not only god you can't call israel because we're the promised ones and if you do that then you're casting israel away and and the woe is us well that's not that's not true so god can call the church just like he was able to call israel he is now called the church and god has a distinct purpose for us in the church it's different from that of israel so if you fight are fighting god about uh what israel has uh that israel should be in the place of the church or or that the church should replace israel then it just nullifies it doesn't even talk about what the true purpose of the church is and and why we exist and what why did god hide this information in himself why is the church a mystery to israel if we're just an extension of israel see all those questions can't be answered by people who have nullified the promises of god and it it definitely does not fit in what god is trying to tell us here in the context so that's point number two so let's move on so to answer uh, this not at all, and and I say this is point number C. Of course, the answer to this question is right here, but for some it does not answer, but only raises more questions. So when you reject the word of God, when you turn away from the word of God, then instead of receiving knowledge and wisdom, it just raises more questions. Well. If God said that, and I can spiritualize it, or I could say, well, it doesn't really mean that. God said that, but it's not true. How could how could that be the way we are to handle the word of truth when it's supposed to be for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness? If we looked at the word and said, no, it doesn't apply, or that it's nonsensical, it could mean any ten different things. The word is direct. If you look at it according to the context, you don't cherry-pick verses. You find that there is a, a flow. And the flow is the sense of the context. And we get that from the spirit of truth. Academic reading of this will not just suffice. You must submit to the spirit of truth in order to allow him to reveal what the word of God means anybody can know what it says anybody can read it but boy to get to understanding of it you you must have the ministry of the holy spirit teaching you it is not something we can get now i know it seems seems like oh well i'm pretty good i was pretty good in school i mean i could read and i could comprehend i could really understand what i read and all well, well the bible is different it is different. And God has uh, the Holy Spirit in place to aid in our understanding of the Word, to teach us. He has pastors in place 
to teach us, to help us understand. So if we were to just say, oh, well, yeah, I'm smart enough to get it. Yeah, I know we're smart. We're smart. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we start out dead to God. We don't have any understanding, spiritually speaking. This is what God tells us. Now, of course, you could say, well, it doesn't really mean me. That's other people. Again, we're back at that same place where we question the Word of God, the direct statements of the Word, the contextual meaning of what what is said there. And you're just saying, no, I don't like what it says, so therefore it's not true. But it is true. So um, it's it does cause people some angst because the Word of God will cross often what you believe. And it will challenge what you believe. Now, of course, when everything when you when you hear the word of God and it's exactly what you thought it would should have been, and, and it's easy to believe then. But when it crosses what you believe, when when it crosses what your mother or father or whatever your background was, then you you have some 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 soul searching to do. When it crosses what you've trusted and believed, then it takes faith in order for you to adopt something new into your soul. It really does. And you can't believe something that contradicts things that you've already believed. So you either got to throw out what you previously believed before you can adopt. You have to recognize, oh, you know what? This contradicts what I formerly held. And you got to be, uh, the Spirit will teach it. He will give it to you so that you'll see the contradiction, and then the choice will be yours. What will you do? Will you throw out what you formerly held, or will you and and cling to that which God has shown you, or will you say, "Well, no, I'm going to hold on to what I believe." It was nice what you what you said. However, I'm going to stick to what I got in my soul. That's where the challenge lies. If you think about what is transformation. That is it. And it's painful because we, ha we have to renew our minds. We have to renovate our thinking. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. Teaching should challenge you. It should. You should say, oh, okay. Um, this is not exactly what I believed. And, and if it is, that's good. Now, there may be more to learn from that. Point D in our note. Let's keep going. The church is not Israel. They are not a nation. When we say the church, they are not a nation before God and clearly have a different purpose. And these points, we don't really need the scriptures to back these up because we already have covered that in great detail. The differences between the church and Israel. And um, the thought here is we're not a nation before God. And if you think the church is a nation, where? where what nation are they? So we, we are um, individuals, and I think this is in another point, but we're individuals in all nations, probably, you could say. We, there are church-age uh, believers in every nation. So we're not just one nation, we're in probably every nation in the world has somebody who is a believer. It's my, I can't say that for sure, but I believe that to be true. So, And it tells us we ought to be subject to whatever 
uh, the high, the powers that be in the nation in which we live. So they're saying, if you're in this country, then we ought to be subject to the laws, the rules that govern us. If you're in another country, then you are to be subject to the laws and rules that govern you, that, that they have to govern their people. Of course, if you're in that country, you're one of their people. So in, can you imagine God saying that about to the Israelites, whatever the law is in the land, that's what you ought to... No, they were governed by the Mosaic Law. And even if they were in another country, they still maintained their distinctiveness by obeying the Mosaic Law. And often, they were run in conflicts with the countries that they were, were in. Like Rome, for instance, ruled over Israel. Uh, and even though they gave Israel some power, even this is in the time of Christ, they um, negotiated with Rome to let them know what they were they felt was important, and uh, what, what it was had to do with their temple or or their services, their Sabbath. Uh, you know, there were things that they negotiated so that they could function even under the thumb of Rome. But they didn't just say, "Okay, we're going to do whatever we want." And Rome, you just have to abide by that. No, Rome had conquered them, and they were under Rome's authority. They had to pay taxes to Rome, so to Caesar. And so it wasn't just, oh, we'll do whatever. We're a nation. No, but the Jews were hard uh, to rule because of the Mosaic Law. They were very passionate about the law. And so it was tough to rule over them. But yeah, you could go back and look at Daniel and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and all of that, where they, they were slaves in another land. So what were they to do? Just, just, Daniel said, I'm not going to eat meat. This is what I'm, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. So um, as much as they could, they were under another nation, but they still respected the rules and principles. But for us, we're not under the law at all. And we can adhere to other rules. And the objective is not just to be here under rules. The, the objective is to have a mission-oriented purpose so that, yeah, we're here. Uh, we're not here to overturn their government, but what we're here to do is mission-oriented save to go out and give the gospel to be ambassadors to grow in grace and the whole to fulfill god's plan for our lives so so the church is not israel they are a nation before god and clearly have a different purpose that was point d let's keep going in our notes so point number three so to as i ask again i ask did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery not at all Rather, because of their transgressions, transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now let's look at this point. It's an important point to consider. I'd say it's even pivotal to understand this point. So rather, the first thought means, in other words, no, Israel is not beyond recovery, and there are other ways to understand their failure. So, so as 
as we're reading this in context, the reason he's saying, he starts out saying rather, he's saying, no, Israel didn't fail so that they are beyond recovery, no. And he's giving rather here, this word is to say, there's other ways to look at this. You're, you're thinking they fell beyond recovery, but that's a wrong thought. And then he's going to explain some benefits even in the midst of their discipline, because they're stumbled. They're stumbling. Uh, they, yeah, they did. They failed. But God is saying, let me tell you, even though they failed, there's some good in that. Let's, let's talk about the good. So, uh, in other words, no, Israel is not beyond recovery. And there are other ways to understand their failure. And we're going to see where he says salvation has come to the Gentiles. So we'll, we'll get into that. So point B, because of their transgression. What is their transgression? Obviously, it's Israel stumbling. And, their, uh, and we, we have to include their greatest blunder in rejecting and crucifying their Messiah. Here referred to as transgression. So John 1.11, he came to his own to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. Yeah, I mean, just imagine he was prophesied. He was the Messiah who was to come uh, to this nation, and uh, they rejected the very nation who would have the context of who he was and what he would do and all the words of prophecy. And what did, what did they do? They rejected him to his face. And not only that, they crucify the Lord of glory. So there is a scripture. I, I didn't put it in the notes. But it talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians. I think I'll read it. Why not? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it goes like this. Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll start at 7. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory time began and then in verse 8 none of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory so notice Paul attributes the the, <clears throat> the, the rulers of this age and who's he talking about in particular he's talking about the Jews the Jewish leaders Israel they rejected their Messiah and then if that were not bad enough, they captured they captured him, bound him, and brought him before Pilate and told Pilate to crucify him. So, yeah, they didn't understand the purpose of the mystery of what was hidden from them, but it was revealed. They could have pivoted and understood who this person before them was that he is the Christ the son of the living God and the miracles the signs the wonders attested to the fact that they are without excuse in crucifying their Messiah they had no excuse they did he did among them things that was unbelievable that they could have easily understood but they did not. They refused. So, because of their transgression, that is Israel stumbling, this is point B, and to include 
include the greatest blunder in rejecting and crucifying their Messiah, here referred to as their transgression. And their transgression was deep. It, it was. But it wasn't enough. And it, couldn't, it could never be enough, as we already saw. Point C. Bless you. One aspect of Israel's call was to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> notice this, <clears throat> this phrase, one aspect. This is not their entire existence just to bring salvation. It was one of the things that God wanted out of calling them from eternity past. This was part of it, but it was to, that they would be a light to the Gentiles. Now, a light means to bring the, the, the light of salvation. Now, uh, it says uh, here in the notes, the, the nation itself needed salvation. So when we think about it, how could uh, they fulfill that aspect of their call, which was to be the priest nation to the world, when they themselves needed salvation? A couple of scriptures in this regard, Isaiah 42, 6, let's look at it. We'll get there. Go back to Isaiah again. It's become typical here. 42, no, no. Is it 42? Wait a minute. Yeah, 42, 6. Let's look at it. Well, I'd like to read one of the, I don't want to just pick up there. The start is at 5. This is what God, the Lord, says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads them out, the earth, with all the springs from it, that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. And, and notice, a light for the Gentiles. And if we keep going, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is the passage that Christ read when he stood up to read. And, and he goes on here. But just to note, there is great purpose here. And I'm going to go to the next one, which is 49.6. So 496 Let's look at the verse before just to make sure. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb and to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It, it is too small a thing, is it? It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Notice, I have kept. I will also make you the light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And uh, another scripture in Zechariah 8.23. Let's look at that. 8.23 says... This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
in those days ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one of of one Jew by the hem of his of his robe and say let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you so this is to talk about what God's ideal for Jerusalem is for Israel for for the nation right? and when we think about all of what God planned and what he wanted for them and and we also have to to note when God was forming the nation Israel how did he do it through Abraham Isaac and Jacob he did it by promises and he promised Abraham Abraham through you and your offspring all the nations of the world will be blessed and when you think about what I was saying before is that there's people in every nation in the church right now I believe that that'd be so I mean just imagine this, this is not a fulfillment of the Genesis passage but it is what God was saying the effect Israel would have on all nations of the world certainly uh, the church could have that effect and it will be easier because God can just save people in all these different places so this was a promise that was uh, told to Abraham all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and he was talking about because of the Messiah that's what was unique about Israel because they had the Messiah and they were to preach the Messiah to the Gentile nations that was the thought so Romans 10 1 through 4 talks about and we, we've covered that in great detail because we went through that but I'm going to read it again brothers and sisters my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own they rejected justification by faith they did not submit to God's righteousness so there you have a Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes so Israel didn't have salvation but yet they were supposed to take salvation to the ends of the earth there were to be a blessing to the other nations they were to be that priest nation they would have they would were the ones who would stand between the Gentile nations and God it was the nation Israel so point D in our notes the responsibility of bringing Christ that is the light of the world to the world has fallen to the church now let's just think about this for a moment so as we said one aspect of Israel's call was to bring salvation to the Gentiles I mean there were other aspects as well like a big one was to bring Christ into the world right to be that nation where Christ would come in and this is depicted as well in Revelation 12 we covered that I don't know a week or two ago well we read those verses where it talks about Israel there's a woman with the moon with 12 stars on, you know on her head and she gives birth to a child well we already saw that 
depicts the, the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world and he was caught up back into heaven and he um, is he was the Savior and and this is the objective uh, is that Israel bring forth Christ and he was born of from the tribe of Judah and he, clearly when we when we read those um, genealogies and scripture and there are several of them they are always trying to tell us that God has kept his word just like he said that's what those genealogies tell us now while we may read over them because we don't know who those people are a lot of times and you may know some of the names but from God's perspective there's a chain of documentation that testifies to the veracity his word his word is truth and he keeps his word and as you read those genealogies sometimes and you want to read and skip them and yeah i understand that sometimes the names are hard to pronounce i get that but just know that they are a testimony to the fact that god has kept his word just as he promised he brought christ into the world and, and this, is, this is how we ought to look at that. So that responsibility, when we talk about that aspect where uh, there were to be a light to the Gentiles, well, that is, on the ground, God had his nation in the world. Now, it doesn't mean that Israel, that's the only way people can be saved. But God was using Israel. He partnered with them. When, it was, when we say partnered, it was a covenant relationship with Israel that this was going to be a purpose and he knew this before the creation of the world so when Israel failed God uh, also in his timing his perfect timing and I say perfect just like it says God in, in Galatians 4 4 God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law so that he could redeem those under the law. <clears throat> and then it says that we also will have, would have the full rights as sons. So that's Galatians 4.4. 4. So when we look at that, it's perfect timing. So God didn't just say, well, this, I'm going to do this because Israel failed. No, God knew exactly how he was going to bring his son into the world. And yes, Israel did fail, and God did pause Israel, as we talked about. And, and God is now, as uh, we see in this age, calling out those many sons into glory. This whole dispensation is a mystery. So what has God done for the, the church? When it says, point E, salvation has come to the Gentiles, what does that mean? It means the responsibility of partnering with God for his purpose of bringing the gospel, right? This is point, this goes into point E, right? To the world. That was what that meant by salvation has come to the Gentiles. So God is, is using the church. Now, just as Israel has other purposes for what God called them, so the church does as well. And we could talk about two distinct purposes. One 
is we're ambassadors of Christ, which is Second Corinthians five seventeen through twenty one. Let's look at that verse, Second Corinthians five and seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us through, to himself through Christ. And here it is, and gave us. Now, who's us? He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about those of us who are in Christ. The new creation, the never-before-seen creation, is here. And the, the designation of in Christ only comes from the result of the baptism of the Spirit, which did not happen until Pentecost. That's when the baptism of the Spirit first occurred, and it happened for those disciples who were there and those in the upper room. So all this is from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and here it is, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's a ministry we have. It is, Israel was a covenant people, and it was a call for them. Part of their call was to be a witness to the other nations. It is part of our call in the church that we are ministers of reconciliation. He gave us this ministry. Now let's keep reading. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now notice, in Christ. And this is unique for our age because when people were reconciled to God in other ages they were not in Christ this is unique God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them so sins are not the issue and they weren't the issue for Israel either but this is part of what is common between the church and Israel the fact that we both have the responsibility to go out and to witness our faith in this so great salvation, this grace salvation to the world. Not counting people's sins against them. Now, if this is not part of your message when you give the gospel, then you, this is literally God, is he wants you to say this. <laughs> you say, when you read these verses, and this verse 19 literally says i'm i'm giving you this 18 says i'm giving you this ministry of reconciliation what is this ministry of reconciliation we might ask that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation the very thing that god wants us to go out and tell people is that he's not counting people's sins against them that's the very thing church has a problem telling people and if they do talk about sins they're trying to tell people how they ought to give them up and repent but here the message of reconciliation something different god is saying here's what i want you to go out and tell them now you know think you have to think about it can you do that can you be an ambassador because that's verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
And then it says, God made him who had no sin, Christ, to be sin for us. Obviously, he took all of our sins. Uh, if we go to First um, John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So with Christ becoming sin for us, we, uh, the sin that he became was our sins. He took our sins. And this is even before we're reconciled. Reconciliation comes when we believe in Christ. But the work that God did was to pay for the sins of the world. Well, we've covered this in good detail in the past. If there are any questions about it, please ask. But there it is, the message of reconciliation. That's, one, that's the one aspect that we have that Israel also had. They had that responsibility. And so when it says that salvation has come to the Gentiles, it's the responsibility of partnering with God for this purpose of bringing the gospel to the world. It, it, it is a ministry that has been given to us. Each of us. We all have this. If you understand how you were saved and you understand the gospel, then you should read these words. It, they are appropriate. They apply. Because if you don't, you can't go out and teach what you don't understand. Obviously, that was Israel's problem. They never came to faith in Christ, and they didn't understand grace because they were busy trying to work for their salvation by being justified by the law. So no, they never really came to the understanding. And when it came to grace... They preferred their way over God's way. So they rejected grace. So this is important. This is a, a pivotal point in our the language here as well. So when it says salvation has come to the Gentiles, it's not saying that in point G, I'm skipping all Gentiles are saved because of the statement. Salvation, that's not what that means, that salvation has come. Gentiles are not all saved now because salvation now somehow has come to them. No. So, you know what? We're going to, I don't want to rush this, and I know I'm getting into the clock here. And I did promise, and I wanted to save a little time. So it's a good stopping point. You have the notes to read where I'm going, but we're going to discuss this in more detail next week because I don't want to rush through it. And these are pivotal points that you're going to hear a lot of uh, dissenting voices out there in the Christian world about how this should work. So I want you to at least see it according to this context. And uh, you judge for yourself. You know, you, you have to draw the conclusions as you see what the testimony of the context bears on our understanding. So we're going to pause this right here. And we'll pick it up next week right at this point where we can uh, make sure that this pivotal point is understood. So with that, we'll pause uh, and we'll pivot to see if there are any questions, thoughts, ideas out there. Whatever you want to talk about, the floor is open. Yes, I wanted to mention that it, it opened up a, a number of thoughts, of course, with uh, 
all the details in those. Um, let me just blurt three of them out, and then we'll cover them one at a time. Sure, go right ahead, uh, Dwight. One is, yeah, one is I appreciate the elaboration on what uh, Paul is really getting into when he's talking about us being ambassadors. And in particular, we're looking at, I'm looking at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned the brand new, never before seen. And uh, I wanted to elaborate for those listening that um, that's not just a fancy phrase that you came up with, but that is the actual Greek definition of the word new. Yes. Um, Meaning. Exactly that. That it is brand new. It's something that's never before existed. Right. That's right. It has been new in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And uh, also with that, you used to say, um, you know, you used to quiz us and say, how many how many persons are living in you right now in your body? Oh um, yeah. If you mm-hmm. were a believer, and um, you know, normally one, one might think, well, it's just me. It's fine by now. Um, but really, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, and, and connected with that is Jesus and God. Mm-hmm. So there are four persons living in each individual, each individual believer. Right, that's right. Um, the other, yeah, so you can elaborate on that. Let me just quick mention the other two so I don't forget. Um, one is I haven't necessarily heard the church say, um, you know, as a, human religious organizations, I haven't heard them necessarily say that um, it has failed for Israel. Um, It seems like the more common misunderstanding is that, okay, the things that were promised to Israel are now promised to um, the church. So we are the condition, um, what's what's the phrase, the term that you're, spiritual Jews. Yeah. Spiritual Israel, um, You know, it's not that the the promises have stopped, but they've been redirected. You know that kind of thing. Right, right. Um, you, mm-hmm. you had another thought. You may have to remind me some of these, but go yeah, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to remind myself of that third thought. Um, but uh, it it also had something to do with the church, and um, oh, as far as the salvation coming to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, that has totally been misrepresented to me in, in a lot of churches I attend to. to um, the way it was presented is that literally they would say Gentiles are now being saved, and they would tie that in with Ephesians chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And they see this is the, the whole mystery is that now Gentiles are being saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a very, uh, you know, Misrepresentation of what the Bible was actually saying. Right, right. So, there were my three points. So, go ahead and take whatever one, whatever one you want. What was the first one again? (laughs) No, I think the first one was around. uh, Wait, wait. You might have to. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Yeah. So, so, so that five seventeen passage. um, So, if anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come. So there's a couple words for new in the Greek, right? That word new is kainos. 
And that word means never before seen, unprecedented, it was not, never before witnessed. So then there's other words for new, like neos, which uh, means new with reference to time, like uh, a new car. There are other cars, you've seen other cars, but so car is not a new concept. Or a new baby is a good one, right? So see a new baby, you say, oh, that's neos new. It's not a new species of, of human being or something. It's just new with reference to time. But this word, this new here use, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation that is never before seen, and this, that this world has never seen. The old, whatever was old about us, and it's calling it old is interesting, has gone. The new is here. And I've heard people say, oh, you're not supposed to be sinning anymore like you sinned before, right? And if you, but that is a common uh, surface reading of this, right? The old is the old ways and in in, in, of sinful behaviors and you got to repent and this and that. Well, here later it tells us that God's not counting. We're supposed to be telling them God is not counting our sins against us. But anyway, that in terms of the new, that is. And this, this new is found in a few places. And it's found here. It's found in Romans 6, 3. It's, it's, if I look at that really quick, it says, uh, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Um, oh, actually, four. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that... Uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may live the new life. So the life that we're living, and that word again is kainos in the Greek. It's not like, well, renewed life like Israel had, like they were renewed. No, this is a life that never existed. It's unprecedented. And, no, and obviously our lives were hidden from previous generations from past, even from angels. It, we, the fact that we are here, our, our modus operandi is new. It is not what was previous. So a lot of people are like, oh yeah, we're, we're in the church now, but we, we don't have to do all the things that uh, Israel did. God has relaxed his standards as far as Israel is concerned. But no, we don't we're not gentile we're not jewish and the lives the spiritual lives that we have are unique and unprecedented never before seen so it does mean that we should be leaning forward to see what that is all right so so that's a thought of new but remind me of the second thought that you had Dwight. i told you i'm gonna to have to revisit these things the, yeah the second thought was about um more commonly what I had heard misrepresented in church mm -hmm. is that not necessarily that the uh, prophecies or promises had stopped for Israel, but they had been mis uh, redirected. So yeah. instead of being to Jews in reality in their nation, it's now being passed on to the church, which people also call uh, spiritual Jews. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, 
for people to take the promises of God, which were dogmatically given to those Jews, I mean directly given to those the nation Israel, for them to to take that and say, well, no, no, it doesn't have to go that way. We're going to spiritualize this. It doesn't mean it. Although the Jews that were on the ground understood that these promises were to them. And God didn't say, yeah, but this is really not to you. It's, you know, to those. No, he was directly talking about the nation Israel. And now that we didn't see the fulfillment of those, some people have said, oh, well, then that means that uh, there must be another way to look at it. Right? We, we're going to have to say that it doesn't really apply to national Israel. It, it must apply to the church. So in a, in a way, it's nullifying the promises of God. And I'm saying that. They may not say that. They may not say, oh, well, we're nullifying the promises of God by what we're saying. But by their actions, they are, in fact, saying that those promises are really not literal, but they're somehow metaphorical. And now we can just mold them into whatever we want them to be for the church. They, they're, they are saying that God doesn't, doesn't uh, fail at his promise. They're saying he keeps his promises, but they're saying that they are fulfilled by the church. Yeah, so that's accurate. They're not saying that he doesn't keep his promise. They're saying he does, but they're just saying that uh, the churches, the fulfillment, will fulfill those all the promises to Israel. I don't know how they're going to do that. They're going to occupy the land and all this other stuff. I, I don't see that happening because the promises to Israel were distinct and literal. And God even says, he goes over the top and just says things like, I'll never reject you. Never will I reject my people. I'm going to fulfill it. Because remember, we, we went through all the reasoning behind that. As to why he would do that. And then, this whole thing about uh, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Um, that The language there is, is important because we need to understand it for the rest of the chapter. Which I didn't want to rush through it. But yeah, that does not mean that the Gentiles are all saved. It means that the responsibility that Israel had for salvation has been passed to the church at this point. But doesn't mean that the church is Israel now. It just means that God still wants to have his witnesses in the world so that he can continue to partner with us to preach the gospel. And imagine Israel had uh, the responsibility to be that priest nation of for all other Gentile nations. Now, the way it is, is that there are believers in the church who are in the church who are not either Jew or Gentile, who are in all nations. And they have a responsibility as ambassadors to preach the gospel. Now, that's not the only responsibility we have, but it is one of the responsibilities that are clearly defined for us, we have to say. So I'll pause to wait. I appreciate it. Thank you for elaborating on all of those points. Yeah, and, and by the way, as I'm thinking about it, there's another passage, there's a couple passages, um, especially the woman at the well, right? So 
she once she realized that Christ had supernatural abilities and was able to tell her about her whole life and she never laid eyes on him before she realized oh you must be a prophet that's what that's how it all works huh so then she said now since you're a prophet I got maybe you can settle this question you know that we've been having here between the Samaritans and the Jews see the Samaritans said we should worship over here on this mountain Mount Gerizim and we you Jews are over on on um, in Jerusalem right so which is it because there was this controversy between the Samaritans and the Jews about which you know was the holy mountain the holy temple where it should be and Jesus corrects her he he says salvation he says you don't really know what you're talking about salvation is of the Jews I'm paraphrasing so much I guess we got a moment let's just look at that really quick in John chapter 4 so uh, he says uh, yeah uh, where is it it says yeah yeah <laughs> verse 22 422 well we can go previous to that just to get the context 21 woman Jesus replied believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know and look at this for salvation is from the Jews see so when we talk about salvation is from the Jews well, the Jews were supposed, they were the ones that God invested in. He gave them all of his wisdom about his righteousness and the temple sacrifices and propitiation and atonement and all of that was, the Jews had the message of salvation and types and shadows and the temple services and all of that. And that was not going to change. Even at the time of Christ, it didn't change. He, says, he was trying to tell this woman, no, the Samaritans were wrong to do what they were doing. Salvation is from the Jews. And when now it says that salvation has come to the Gentiles, he's not talking about that. Well, what I will bring out next week is that what he's really trying to say is there's not a, it's not a Jewish nation that has the responsibility of salvation right now. Jews are on pause. Israel's on pause right now. So if it's not a Jewish nation, and it's not a Gentile nation, but it's Gentiles that are characteristic of the church. Church is not Jewish. And one of the points I'll be bringing out next week is, even if there were more Jews in the church than Gentiles, you still would not call the church Jewish. The church is not a Jewish uh, or is of Israel at all. We'll get to more of that next week. And uh, but but that's the thought. Other thoughts out there or you know follow ups. Floor is still yeah, one one quick thought. Sure, go right ahead, Bill. Um, you made a statement. Um,
I did the same thing. Both, both, I couldn't remember what the, the same points were. Israel in, in regards to um, their sins were not counted against them. Yes. So, but when they were under the law, not for salvation, I'm sure their sins weren't counted against against them, but but they were um, severe penalty for for sin. Okay, so different as it is now under the church. Yeah, yeah, no, but their their sins are not counted against them, even under the law. Right, so salvation is the same. Right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though they received penalty, but the penalty that they received was because they weren't fulfilling their call, right, to be the priest nation of the world. And they were, instead of them influencing the world, the world influenced them. So there were all kinds of uh, injunctions and commands in the law so that they would be that unique people. Well, they failed miserably in that. But um, when it comes to salvation, which is by grace and through faith and all that, that's where they failed uh, to receive the grace of God and salvation and justification, right? They sought justification by works of the law. They thought, okay, if I could just show God that I'm obeying his rules and commands, then that part, the spiritual life, will be mine, right? I'll be saved. I'll be justified. But, in fact, um, that was the case, that they refused to be justified. And so, if you go back... To Romans so it, the law didn't have anything to do with salvation never did Romans chapter 5 it says this uh, it says when we're talking about sin in general therefore just as sin entered the world through, this is 512 by the way sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sin now when did all sin all are not even born yet but all are in Adam, and Adam's Adam sin is imputed to them when they're born. So, verse 13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. See, so the law doesn't necessarily have some, uh, you know, it points out sin, but it's not the ultimate guide for what is sin. And this is telling us, right? Law, sin was in the world before the law was given. Just imagine, the antediluvian world was destroyed because of sin because this is a sin in a temporal sense but not in an eternal sense and i would imagine that we're going to have people in the antediluvian world who are saved right we we look at everybody as lost but and only noah and his sons were were saved but when we're talking about salvation here Right, this, so it's, look at this, but sin is not charged, this is Romans 5.13, sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So when God didn't tell him the law, he cannot hold him responsible for the law. So, so just think about it. So you could say that the law held, holds people responsible, but but not with reference to salvation, right? Salvation is different. 
verse 14 nevertheless death reigned from the time of adam to the time of moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as adam as did adam who was the pattern of the one to come the only command that god had given was adam adam don't eat of the fruit adam ate the fruit he told them don't eat the fruit adam did it anyway so adam was held responsible but after adam all die not because of their sins, but because of Adam. That's why he says death reigned. They didn't get any command. They didn't get any law that told them what to do. But death still reigned over them. So law had nothing to do with, with people needing salvation. Sin has... These people sinned, but their sins are not counted. But God's, God is saying, I'm not, not going to count their sins against them when there is no law. Right? So even when there was law, as we find out, that God has a plan that their sins are not counted against them for salvation. But their sins were counted against them when it comes to their call because they had a covenant relationship with God. So I hope that makes sense. I don't know, it's a little confusing, but hope yeah. it, hope it's not. No. I mean, we, we don't understand that. For the layman, who's again, I guess I think I we iterated this a little bit last week. When they see, you know, people being stoned to death, and, and even in Christ's time, they tried to stone people to death. Um, the woman who was caught in adultery, and when, when most people think of death, they think of losing salvation. Yeah, I mean, they for some reason they put those two together, like, oh, if you. You was, if God if God allowed you to die or God did something, one of his laws was was take you out of here, well surely he's not gonna bring you to heaven. I mean this is the way most people think. Yeah, but we see that, you know, that especially uh, that scripture in Roman uh first Corinthians eleven where it says that God himself before this cause many among us are sick, weak, and a number of us have fallen asleep, and that is directly resulting and are dis being disciplined by God. When we are judged, we are being disciplined, it says, by God, so that we will not be condemned with the world. So uh, that's clear in Romans, not Romans, 1 Corinthians 11, where God says that at the end, we will not be condemned with the world. Even though he had to discipline us with death, we will not be condemned with the world. So it's very clear to me that, yeah, physical death, uh, there are temporal consequences for sin, right? So you could, because of sin in the world, temporarily speaking, it could, you could land in jail. I mean, you could, God could discipline you. Um, there's a lot of um, consequences that could result from sin, but, but eternal consequences are all taken care of by God. And that's why when we talk about salvation, it's free. So because Christ is the one who took all of our sins. So eternally speaking, God is not holding, counting our sins against us. He has counted them to Christ. That's why he can offer us salvation free and by grace. Anyway, so hopefully that answers. I see it getting a little late. All right. So we're going to have to call it but thanks for those questions, good questions. We are, 
I wish I would have left a little more time, actually. So maybe next time we will. But we will continue this thought next week, so stay tuned. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. Uh, what a privilege to study your word, to focus our attention, even for this time that we have devoted. And uh, we know that there can be no better use of our time while here in, in this world than to focus our attention on you, Father, and your word. So we thank you for those who are here. We continue to pray for those who are sick among us and grieving. And we pray as we uh, uh, depart that you would watch between us, uh, keep us safe as uh, protected in this world as we go so that we can continue to fulfill your purposes. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.